Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. The Gospel reading is Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, and can be found on page 842 of the Pew Bible. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, With some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If man tells his father or his mother... Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. God's grace and mercy and peace be with each and every one of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and grab a Bible and let's open up to Mark chapter 7. You can find that on page 842 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, We've been spending uh, the good majority of the summer in Mark's gospel. However, the past couple weeks we took a little bit of a trip over to John chapter 6 as we looked at uh, Jesus speaking about himself as the bread of life. And now we move away from that conversation with the crowds that Jesus fed with the bread and the fish, and now we move into a conversation he's going to have with the Pharisees. I I guess it's less of a conversation and more of an argument, uh, which often happened with Jesus as he encountered uh, the Pharisees in particular. So Mark chapter 7 The point of today's sermon is that you don't have to wash your hands, right? So don't worry about it. Uh, No, that's not good advice, especially in this time we're living in. It's a good idea to wash your hands, uh, so do that. But rather, Jesus uses this argument with the Pharisees about the washing of hands to talk about something deeper, to talk about the issue of hypocrisy, or what it means to be a hypocrite. And so today we're going to take a look at what Scripture has to say about hypocrisy. What does it mean to be a hypocrite? And it's so important that we would examine this because I would say that, well, first, Jesus is always butting heads with the Pharisees and calling them hypocrites. 
Uh, and so it's something that uh, really stirs Jesus up is this whole uh, idea of being a hypocrite. And then not only that, I would say that hypocrisy stunts our growth as Christians because it means that we hide from God. And also hypocrisy stunts the growth of our Christian community. It really makes our Christian community shallow because we don't just hide from God, but we hide from one another. And uh, Jesus has some very stern things to say about hypocrisy, so we need to delve into this for uh, our own spiritual health and growth. So let's take a look at the, the situation here. A lot of stuff is going on in this text that may not be clear to us. We need to clear up some historical things that may not make a lot of sense to us. For example, this whole idea of washing the hands uh, before eating or after going to the marketplace, and then also uh, this tradition of the elders. So look with me at verse 5. In verse 5, it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Uh, it reminds me of this old Far Side comic. Uh, I don't know if you can see it from here, but uh, it's uh, this guy's coming out of the bathroom, and there's an alarm that goes off that says, didn't wash hands. Uh, and... Uh, now, we get all anxious about people not washing their hands after they use the restroom or sneeze or something because we're nervous about spreading diseases, and rightly so. But uh, the Pharisees were sounding the alarm on Jesus and his disciples for not washing their hands properly before they ate. But there's a different reason. They weren't so concerned about hygiene. They were concerned about uh, ritual purity. And it goes back to this thing called the tradition of the elders. So let's talk about that a little bit. What is the tradition of the elders? So to answer that question, we have to go all the way back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus when God gave the commandments to Moses, the Ten Commandments. And then later those Ten Commandments were expressed as 613 laws. Uh, see, the thing is that the, the commandments are really simple. It's love God and love your neighbor but Israel did neither, and so God gave them 10 commandments, and they didn't keep those, and so he gave them 613. Uh, that's kind of the way it works, is that the more we rebel against God, the more commandments we need uh, to keep us from hurting one another and ourselves. Now, uh, the tradition of the elders are not, uh, is not the law of Moses written down in, in the book of Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, etc., these are uh, oral tradition. They are extra laws, not given by God, but passed down uh, from uh, what are called the elders. Now, uh, the Pharisees said it kind of went like this, that you have the Ten Commandments, you have the laws written down, but there were these extra laws, these traditions, these oral traditions, and they said that Moses gave these to Joshua, and then Joshua gave them to the elders of Israel. And then the elders of Israel handed them down to the prophets. And then the prophets handed them down to the great men of the synagogues and then to the Pharisees. Now, it's interesting. Jesus just really dismisses all of this. He just says that they're commandments made by men. They're just made up. They're, they're, they're false. Uh, but the Pharisees took them very seriously. They counted them as being as equally authoritative and sometimes even more authoritative than the words of Moses. So I'll give you some examples of what these traditions of the elders were. They were, it was really, uh, the, the term used is building a fence around the commandment. And so they would create rules 
about the rule to keep you from breaking the rule. So for example, the commandment God gave was don't break the Sabbath, but rest and worship on that day. So the, the tradition of the elders said, well, what exactly is work? Is it against the Sabbath commandment to look in a mirror on the Sabbath? Seems harmless enough, but no. The rabbi said, if you look in a mirror, you might discover a gray hair. And if you discover a gray hair, you might pull it out. And if you pull it out, you're working on the Sabbath and you're breaking the commandment. So do you see how they're building a fence around the law? Or another, this is the most interesting one for me. This is all written down in what's called the Mishnah. About 200 years after Jesus or so, all these oral traditions were written down into what's called the Mishnah. And one of the most interesting ones is uh, the rabbis debated as, uh, let's say that your house caught on fire and you had a wooden leg. Was it permissible to carry the wooden leg out of the burning house or would that be working on the Sabbath? So you can kind of see why Jesus kind of ran into the Pharisees when he healed on the Sabbath. They thought you're doing work on the Sabbath. You're breaking the tradition of the elders. Well, the same thing was going on with the washing of hands. So there was a commandment given to God in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, to the priests that they should wash with water before they approach God in the temple. They should wash their hands. But at the time of Jesus, the tradition of the elders had expanded this out to say that all faithful Jews should wash their hands when they go from the marketplace because they may have come into contact with something unclean, an unclean person like a leper or a Gentile or maybe unclean food. And so this was a rite of religious observance as they uh, washed with the fist is what it says in the literal language, which means that they went, they washed like this or they washed from uh, up to the elbow. So this is a very important commandment uh, that the, the Jewish leaders observe, but you'll notice that Jesus has nothing to do with it. He doesn't really care about it. He says it's a commandment of men, and then he even goes on to say that it's hypocrisy. So you see what's going on here. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees say to Jesus, why do your disciples have unclean hands? And Jesus says, well, why do you have unclean hearts? We'll get into that more next week. Look with me at verse 6. Here's how Jesus answers. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So what is hypocrisy? What does it mean to be a hypocrite? Uh, this is one of those words that lines up with Greek perfectly because we get the word from Greek. Uh, the Greek word hypocrites is where we get the English word hypocrite. And literally what it means is it means somebody who plays a part, somebody who acts, someone who pretends, someone who wears a mask. It's someone who's presenting a version of themselves that's not really real. There, there's a disconnect between what's being presented in public and what's really going on in the heart or in secret. And Jesus sees these commandments taught by men, this ritual hand-washing, as a way to kind of hide what's really going on in the heart, to present oneself as holy and blameless, when in reality the Pharisees were not loving God or loving the neighbor as themselves. They were lawbreakers in reality who were presenting themselves as perfect law keepers. And Jesus calls it hypocrisy, pretending. 
You know, even out in the world, I think that we understand what hypocrisy is because we see it all the time. We see examples of it all the time. So, for example, you may have well-known politicians or maybe well-known celebrities who maybe talk a lot about, uh, about being pro-woman or, or women's rights, and then they have a moral failure where it's shown that they were, you know, sexually harassing somebody. You know, just repeatedly. We think of the governor of New York, we think of Bill Cosby, you know, things like that. Uh, examples of where you have somebody presenting themselves or, or saying that they're one thing, but behind closed doors or something different. And the world understands that. They rightly call out as hypocrisy. You know, another example that's been popular in the last year is the example of, of Rachel and Dave Hollis. Uh, Rachel Hollis is a really popular author, kind of a self-help author. She's written the book, Girl, Wash Your Face and Girl, Stop Apologizing. And really, uh, part of her, her business is that her and her former husband, Dave Hollis, would really present themselves as saying, we have the perfect marriage. And if you listen to us, if you take our classes, if you spend thousands of dollars and come to our seminars, you can have the perfect marriage. And so people who were floundering in their marriage really kind of reached out to them for help. But then they announced very suddenly their divorce and, and that their marriage wasn't perfect. And so really what was going on is they were presenting themselves for financial you know, benefit, saying, just do what we do and you'll have a great marriage. They were reaping the benefits of that teaching, and yet underneath the surface, that wasn't the case. And a lot of people were very offended, and they said, that's hypocrisy. We know what this looks like in the world. We see it all the time as we watch the news. We see hypocrisy, pretending. But the truth is that hypocrisy or pretending often inhabits the space of religion and often happens within the church. I think, for example, of you know, high-profile preachers, preachers who are kind of celebrity preachers who are preaching one thing, and then after they've preached that, it's revealed that they have moral failure or scandal in their lives, and it discredits their entire ministry. Um, that would be hypocrisy. And we see it here, especially once again, with the Pharisees, that sometimes it's religion that can become the place where we are pretending, where we're wearing a mask, where we're having this disconnect between reality and truth. So I want you to look at verse six. I want you to see here that Jesus says that the symptom of hypocrisy is that people honor God with their lips. They're, they're stating a belief, they're worshiping, but really the heart is far away from God. So do you see that, how the Pharisees are presenting themselves as saying our heart's close to God because of all these commandments we keep but in reality, the heart is far away from God. They're really concerned about their own glory rather than the glory of God and the good of others. For example, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that the, that the hypocrites are those who pray publicly and who give to the poor publicly and who fast publicly, but they do it only to be seen by others and not for the glory of God or the good of others. And oftentimes, this hypocrisy will manifest itself in a preoccupation with rules that God never made. For example, I remember in, in high school, as I, you know, as I became a Christian around the time of high school, I remember that uh, sort of the culture, the church culture that I was in was very much that to be a Christian means that you don't drink or you don't smoke or you don't use swear words. That was kind of what it meant to be a Christian 
Um, and really, uh, that culture was neglecting the deeper things of loving God and loving your neighbor from a genuine heart. So what might hypocrisy look like if it shows up in a church setting? Well, for one, I think that uh, hypocrisy can show up in a, in a church setting when we pretend to be something we're not and we use religion to do that. So, for example, somebody might share some gossip, but they share it under the cloak of prayer. So they say, I'm just sharing this so you can pray for this person, right? But there's really not a concern for that person, for their well-being, or their repentance, or their wholeness, but there's a concern for, I want to share this and call it something holy when it's really gossip. Or sometimes I think that in Nebraska, we have this kind of Midwest nice. Would you agree with me that we do this sometimes? We have kind of Midwest nice where we present ourselves as just happy and cheery and how's it going and we just all like each other and things are great. But then maybe when that person leaves, we might say what we really think or we might tear that person down. There's kind of this facade of niceness that goes on. And sometimes we do that just to kind of keep peace because we don't want to really deal with conflict. Uh, I'd say that conflict avoidance can be a symptom of hypocrisy because we don't want to say what's really real and walk through the difficulty of reconciliation. So we just avoid and we do the whole Midwest nice thing instead of saying what's really going on. This could be manifested in somebody living a double life. You know, somebody who comes to church and says, I love Jesus, but then they go out and they live in the darkness of secret sin, maybe some underneath the surface secret sin in somebody's life uh, that's really suffocating them spiritually, but when they show up to church on Sunday, hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? Everything's great. This might show up maybe, you know, if you ever find yourself disciplining your kids differently in public than you do in private because, like, your kids embarrass you. And so because your kids are embarrassing you, you're going to be maybe a little bit more harsh, like, stop it, you're embarrassing me. Uh, that could be hypocrisy. Or, or maybe you might treat your spouse differently in public to give the idea that, hey, everything's great here. Uh, but in, in private, it's a different matter. So these are all symptoms of hypocrisy. Looking good, avoiding reality. So the question that we all need to ask ourselves is this, is am I a hypocrite? Am I a pretender? Some of the symptoms that may show that we are, are caught up in this trap, this web of hypocrisy, is that maybe we're very guarded. We're guarded against God. So during the confession time that we had, where we confess our sins, maybe you're just spacing off during that time. You're like, when's this going to be done? Or maybe you confessed some sins that you feel you have control over, but you didn't confess the things that you don't have control over that are really wreaking havoc in your spiritual life. You weren't honest with God. You're hiding from God. Or, or, or maybe we're guarded against one another. We're not going to really have Christian community with people because we don't want to put our guard down because we want to present ourselves as we want to be known as, instead of as we really are. Or perhaps we're majoring in minors. We're getting really obsessed and, and just, you know, just uh, strung out over small matters of doctrine or teaching or practice, but we're not focusing on the things that are really important. Or maybe we are very aware of other people's faults. Jesus calls this seeing the speck in somebody's eye. What does he say? He says, you hypocrite, 
What about the board, the plank in your own eye? We're very aware of other people's faults, but we're not aware of our own. And so I would say that one of the symptoms of hypocrisy is if we are quick to call other people hypocrites. If, you're, if you just say, ah, hypocrite, maybe that reflects your own hypocrisy. I would say that when it comes down to it, that, uh, that we're all hypocrites to some degree. So my name is Pastor John. I'm a hypocrite. Come on, raise your hand too. And it's, this is like a meeting, right? We're in recovery here. So let's just be honest about it, okay? Because all of us hide from God and from one another. In fact, if you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve break the commandment, what do they do? They hide. First, they cover themselves up. They hide behind the leaves. And then they hide from God. And then they blame each other. They blame God even, right? We cover up, we hide, we blame. That's all symptoms of hypocrisy, right? And, you know, the beautiful thing about God, though, is what does God do? God says, where are you? Now, he's not saying, where are you, to go and rub their nose in it, to shame them. He's saying, where are you, because he really cares. And he wants to find them and bring them out of the darkness, out of the shadows, and into the light of forgiveness. Because what does God do when he finds them? He clothes them. He covers their nakedness. And I would hold out to you that God does the same for you and me in Jesus Christ. You see... Hypocrisy means that we're hiding from God, we're hiding from others. And, and I would hold out to you that the whole entire story of the Bible is really God asking the question, where are you? And that question, where are you, begins a search and rescue mission that takes us all the way through all the books of the scriptures, all the way until God is so determined to find us in our hiding that he shows up in an actual person, the person of Jesus Christ. God comes to find us in Christ, and he's so intent on finding us when we're hiding that it even costs him his life. Because when he exposes us as hypocrites, we kill him. And yet his love has the last word, right, as he's raised from the dead. And it's that and that alone that heals hypocrisy and brings us out of hiding. So what is the solution to hypocrisy? If you're, if you're able to admit, if you're able to come out of denial and admit that you are a hypocrite, that you pretend, that you hide from God, that you hide from others, what is the solution to that? Now, here's what the world does. The world will say, just don't be a hypocrite. Be your authentic self. Be real. Be genuine. But you know what? Every time you do that, you just take off one mask to put on another one, right? That's the human condition, is that if we, if we take off one mask, we just put on a different one. We have a thousand ways of hiding. We're very good at it. We're like a chameleon. We change colors. There's only one thing that can bring us out of he, uh, hiding and actually heal us of our hypocrisy, and it is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The only one who can actually help us and heal us and bring us out of the darkness and into the light is the one person, the one man who's not a hypocrite. And that's Jesus Christ, our Lord. There are two things that Jesus does for us that brings us out of hypocrisy and into integrity. The first is that he has an intervention with us. And that intervention happens through the word of God, specifically through the law of God. 
You see, the Pharisees were trying to make commandments about the commandments so they could hide behind those laws and say, I'm a good person. But the true work, the true function of God's law is it exposes us, is it, is it makes us really naked before God. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. That's on page 1003. Hebrews 4, and we're going to start at verse 12. Now, as I read these verses, I want you to imagine yourself as the hypocrite in hiding. Because we've all been there, and maybe we're there right now. And hear these words. Verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. Nobody in this room is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There it is. That's the intervention that Jesus offers us, is he shines the light into the darkness and he finds us out for who we really are. You know, you can fool God, you can fool others and you can fool yourself, but you can't fool God. He sees it. He sees everything. He sees every dark secret. He sees everything that you hide from others. Everything. He sees it. And through his powerful word, he pierces through the armor that you put up to guard yourself against him whether that be a very religious, holy exterior, or maybe that be something, you know, like a, a dark secret hidden life or different identity that we live outside of these walls. The word of God, the living and active word of God pierces through all of that and the facade's over and we are naked and exposed. But God does that for you, not to shame you, but because he loves you. He does that for you so that he might cover you not with your own righteousness, but with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, we all have to hide behind something. And God would have us hide behind Jesus and Jesus alone. That's when we can let our guard down. Because here's the thing. God knows the utter depths of all of our sin. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows every secret. And yet knowing that he fully loved you, he fully gave himself, he laid down the life of his very son. Jesus went to the cross and suffered the burden, the crushing burden of your hypocrisy, and he knew it in full, and he said, I'll do it. I'll go to bring you out of darkness and into the light. That's the only thing that heals hypocrisy because when you get that kind of love in your heart, you don't have to pretend anymore, right? No more pretending. God knows us perfectly, and yet he loves us perfectly. It reminds me of a quote. You'll probably hear me quote this again, and you probably heard me, you've heard me quote it before. It's from Tim Keller, but it just sums up the good news of the gospel that brings us out of hiding so well. He says this. He says, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. That's what the word of God exposes in us. That's when the mask comes off, right? Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's what leads us out of the darkness, into the light, into deep Christian maturity. That's what creates deep Christian community because we no longer have to be guarded before God and guarded before others because God knows us perfectly and he loves us all the way to the bottom. 
while we were sinners, while we were hypocrites, Christ died for us. In closing, let me just share a brief story. When I was in seventh grade, I finally got invited to a sleepover with the friends who lived in the rich neighborhood. I, did, I lived in a chain link fence neighborhood. I didn't live in a golf course neighborhood. But I got invited to the cool neighborhood and I was finally in the in crowd. I was so excited. Uh, so went over to the sleepover with uh, my seventh grade guy friends. There's about six or seven of us. And uh, I don't remember where the parents were, but um, anyways, about two in the morning, uh, sort of the ringleader of the group said, let's sneak out. Seemed like a great idea, right? Let's sneak out. And so we crept out of the house and just went running through the dark shadows of the neighborhood. And I don't think we were doing anything too bad. We were, I think we were just rearranging people's Christmas decorations or something like that. And um, anyways, as we're running about, hiding in the shadows, um, there's a car that goes by. And other cars have been going by from time to time. And we just go run and hide in the shadows behind the bushes and then come back out. And there was a car that came out, uh, and, and the car stopped with its headlights, like right there. And I saw that it was a Nissan Sentra, 1994, maroon-colored Nissan Sentra. And I thought, oh, man, that's my mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> so my mom and dad are smart. They knew what I was up to. They gave me a little bit of rope, and I misused it. And so they actually got in the car at 3 in the morning, and they went out to find me. And so my friends were terrified. They were like, oh no, we're done. And you know what I said to them? I said, don't worry guys, it's my mom and dad. It's just my mom and dad. Because um, unlike a lot of my friends, I had a really good relationship with my mom and dad. And, and I knew they loved me, even when they caught me. And yeah, I, I was disciplined. I lost some freedom. Uh, I don't think they let me go to you know, overnights, overnight sleepovers for a while, which is probably not a bad idea. Um, I got caught caught red-handed, but I was able to come out of the darkness and not flee, come out of the dark shadows and present myself as guilty because I knew there'd be forgiveness. I knew that my parents would still embrace me and love me even though I was being a fool. And I share that story because there, there's some of you here today that you're hiding. I mean, you've been hiding. You've been hiding a long time. And, and maybe you're hiding behind something that looks really religious, like going to church every Sunday, um, trying to live a moral life, but you're hiding what's really going on underneath. Or maybe you're not really hiding it, you're just leaving this place and living a life that doesn't even look Christian, that, that just dishonors what you speak here in this place. But God loves you so deeply that he invites you out of hiding. He says, come out of the darkness, and into the light because I won't shame you or rub your nose in it, but rather I will embrace you with my perfect love and forgiveness so that you can no longer live as a hypocrite. You can live as a hypocrite in recovery, not in denial. May God grant us his Holy Spirit to give us the hearts to respond to him in this moment. Amen.